That was our Hammond Baptist High School, Hiles Anderson College, and First Baptist Church combined orchestra members playing the Leroy Anderson composed Christmas Festival. All of our orchestra members, choir members, bell team members, ensemble members, and so forth are all volunteers who begin practicing in sometimes October, September, to get ready for these Christmas pieces, and we hope it's been a blessing to you. We're certainly glad that you're here with us this morning. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was born in 1807. He became a Harvard professor of literature and one of America's greatest writers. In 1861, his wife was tragically killed in a fire. That same year, the Civil War broke out, ripping our country apart. Two years later, Henry's only son, Charlie, ran away from home to join the army. Dark clouds began gathering over Henry's life and all of America. On November 27, 1863, during the Battle of New Hope, Virginia, Charlie was shot. Upon hearing that news, Henry left immediately for Washington, D.C. to be by his son's side. For weeks, Henry sat by his son's bedside, slowly nursing him back to health. On Christmas Day, 1863, Henry gave vent to his distraught feelings that can only be understood against the backdrop of war when he wrote the words to this song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play and mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God's not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men.
as Christmas bells ring out, peace on earth and goodwill toward men, our hearts rejoice for the news of the birth of Jesus. Joy fills our heart to know that the Savior of the world is born. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Joy to the world. The Lord is come.
And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Son of God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But when he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Matthew chapter 1, Dr. Tom Vogel will read the scripture with us responsibly, beginning at verse number 18 and concluding with verse number uh, 25. Just imagining what took place on that Christmas morning when Mary and Joseph looking down into the face of that little baby, knowing that he would be the Christ child, not knowing that just 33 years later she would watch that same body be crucified for our sin. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew not not, till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus.
Did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you I love the Bible. The Bible is one book with 66 books inside. Inside the 66 books, it's divided in two categories. 39 books were written before Jesus came, and the last 27 books were written after Jesus went back to heaven. The main theme of the Bible, if you were to just to, to take it and say, what is the main theme? It is how can sinners like us be reconciled with a God who's holy? 
How do people who have a sin problem be okay with a God who's never sinned? See, in just a few days, every one of us is going to stand before God. A hundred years from now, all that's going to matter for everyone in this room. And everybody watching by way of internet and those who are watching by way of live stream and listening by the way of the radio this morning. All that's going to matter for us is where we live. (laughs) In heaven with God or in hell without him. That's what's going to matter. And that's why Christmas is so important. When Jesus died, he paid the price of sin, but he had to get here. And he came. He didn't come as someone of strength. He came as the weakest thing anyone could come as, as a baby. There's nothing more vulnerable than an infant. He came to a poor family. They couldn't even afford um, a place, a hospital, or an inn. They couldn't get into an inn. He was born in a barn. His first baby bed was not where his family was from, but in a manger, a feeding trough, laid with possibly hay and some swaddling clothes, just some rags that they would use to wrap a dead body with. See, Pastor, why was he wrapped in a dead body? Rags. is because he wasn't born to live, he was born to die. He had to die so you and I could live. He had to be separated from God the Father so you and I wouldn't have to be separated from God. The Christmas story is a beautiful story. It's a wonderful story. And in Matthew chapter 1, the Bible tells us the Christmas story in two sections of our Bible, in Matthew and in the book of Luke. And those two places is where God tells us the story of Jesus coming to the earth. In John the gospel that talks about him being God, he was in the beginning. In Mark, the gospel talks about him being a servant. When you're a servant or a slave, you don't really care who your parents are and how you got here. It's what you do that matters. But in the book of Matthew, he is presented as a king. This is where he gets a visit from the magi and from the wise men who bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In the book of Luke, he is man. And we see that we see the backdrop of the shepherds on the hillside, that we see his mom and his dad moving from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because the government had issued edicts that everyone has to go back to their place of origin where their family was born to be counted and to pay tax. Well, in the book of Matthew, Joseph and Mary are espoused. It would be like our modern-day engagement. They had never been intimate. They had already said their vows, but they were waiting to consummate their marriage with a celebration with their families. But in that time, from their vows and him preparing a place for her, he finds out that she's expecting a baby, and it just kills him. He's challenged by that. And he's thinking, I can't believe this has happened. Mary, I don't believe she's going to do this. She wouldn't have done this to us. And in the middle of that, rather than being hasty and impetuous, and by the way, a lot of us need to think about that. We need to think before we open our big mouth. (laughs) 
The Bible tells us in that moment he was, while he thought about these things, God sent a messenger to him, an angel, and said, listen, the baby she's carrying is not just any baby. The Holy Spirit has overshadowed her, and she's going to have the Christ child. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife and go ahead and make it official with the family. But don't be intimate to, with her until she has the baby. So that was the, the thing. You know, and, and I love Joseph in the Bible because everything that was going on from there on after all revolved around what was best for Jesus. He kind of gave up his own will and said, what is best for this baby? What is best for Jesus? He went to Egypt for a while. He stayed in Bethlehem after Mary had the baby and got work there. He was a carpenter. After going to Egypt, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth. That was kind of like the other side of the track. And everything in his life focused on what was best for Jesus. And I love Joseph for that. But the Bible says that the angel told him that the baby that she's carrying will be called Jesus because he's going to save his people from his sin, from their sins. With that in mind this morning, I want to speak to you about gifts that God gives us. Last week, we talked about two gifts that God gives us at Christmas time. One is Emmanuel, which means we have the presence of God. The word Emmanuel means God with us. One of the gifts at Christmas, and we like Christmas gifts. I have a Christmas gift here. Linda has been wrapping Christmas gifts this week in our home. And uh, many of you will wrap gifts. You'll receive gifts this year. It's part of the Christmas tradition is that we give gifts and we accept gifts. But that revolves around the gift that God gives us. See, the, the famous Christmas verse, you probably know it. For God so loved the, that he, his only begotten son. Christmas is big because God gave the greatest gift he could give. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, but thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Well, last week we talked about what gift that God gives at Christmas. Number one, he gives us his presence. He left heaven to be with us so we could forever be with him. The second thing God gives us at Christmas is the gift of peace. From the very first night of the birth of Jesus, the angel said, glory to God on the highest and on earth, peace. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our peace. He is our peace. Well, the Bible also tells us there's other gifts that God gives at Christmas. I want to bring those two, two of those and then one more today. The next gift I think Christmas reminds me of is the gift of God's sovereignty. Now, there is a challenge in many circles, in theological circles, about the sovereignty of God, but I like to just think that the sovereignty of God is that God already knows everything. Along with all the attributes of God, he's omniscient, he knows everything. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere. He's omnipotent, he can do anything. And he loves you one of the things that God has that you and I don't have, we don't have any of those things. We do not have the all-knowingness that God knows. We do not have the omnipresent. We can only be one place at a time in this world. But God can be everywhere at the same time. 
He is all-knowing, and he can do anything. We have limitations. God has no limitations. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. But another thing that God knows, he knows what's going to happen tomorrow better than you can remember what happened yesterday. We look at life like this, what happened before, what's happening now. We can only see in two frames, the past and the present. But God sees everything in one frame. He sees the past, he sees the present, and he knows what's going to happen in the future. We call it God's foreknowledge. I mean, he knows what's happening ahead of time. He knew you would be here today in this building. He knew the young people would sing the song they sang, and the orchestra would play the... the, the. He knew that I would be standing here at the age of 53 years old. You might want to keep coming. I don't know how long it's going to happen. There's, all the tall guys are short fellas. But he knew that I would be here. He knew that I would have to be here. You would be here. He has no problem. Matter of fact, when Jesus was born, scores and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled. God told us where Jesus would be born. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, it says it would be at this time that Jesus would be born. See, how do the wise men that lived in, that read the books of Daniel and that lived in the area where Daniel was, how do they know to come to Bethlehem? It had been prophesied in the Bible. They knew. And God doesn't mind telling the future. God knows the future. Ever heard anyone say, what is this world coming to? It's coming to God. God tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You say, Pastor, does it matter who the president is? It doesn't for God. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, I would encourage you to go home and read it today. You'll find that one of the gifts of Christmas is understanding that God knows everything. And there was a man named Nebuchadnezzar. He was the world leader at the time. And he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. He looked at his kingdom and he had been warned already, you're getting prideful, Nebuchadnezzar. You think it's all about you. It's not about you. It's about what God has given you. But one day he looked out and he said, look at all this kingdom that I have. And God says, if you do that, I'm going to send you like a little animal running around like a cow in a field. You're going to lose your mind. He forgot about that. And he began to take on his own glory and to see his own kingdom. And he uh, proudly <coughs> thought he had done that. And the Bible tells us that God caused him for seven years to lose his mind. And to go off into the, into the forest and into the, uh, to the, the pastures and, and live like an animal. Until he understood that the Most High God managed the affairs of men, and he set up one and put down another, whoever he wants. There's another verse of Scripture in the Bible when the heathens say, where is God? He answers this question, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he will. God is good, and God is right. I don't know if you believe that or not, but if you believe that, would you say that? God is, and God is. 
He is always good. He is always right. God doesn't owe us anything, not even an explanation. Every once in a while, an arrogant person will say, I'm telling you what, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, and he's going to tell me, he's going to explain it to me. He, you won't have any explanation, and you won't need one. And the last thing you'll do is get up in his face and ask him for an, an explanation. You'll be on your face, recognizing his lordship and his sovereignty. But that, you say, Pastor, you mean just God just makes rules and we live? Yeah, that's part of it. But that same God who makes the rules loves us. And that's the gift of Christmas. I don't know where you came from. Some of you, your mom and dad stayed together and they're together now, or maybe they've always, and you lived in a home that was just beautiful. If you could, if you could manufacture your future, you would say, I want it like my mom and dad's. Some of you would say, oh, no, no, no. No, I don't, I don't want that. Some of you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You had it all going on. You never lack for anything. You do not know what it's like to go without. Some of you, you know what it's like. You've been through some difficult times. You know what God does? He makes all things work together for good. He doesn't make all things good. Sin is not something God created. We did that. And we do that more. May I just remind you, friend, that sin complicates life. By the way, if you're a young person and you're living in a situation, we have hundreds of young people here who live in Chicago and are here this morning in the service. Live all over northwest Indiana. And you say, you know what, Pastor? I don't want my future to be like what I have experienced. Let me tell you something and give you a secret. Stay away from sin. Sin complicates life. Stay away from it. Decide, you know what, I'm going to, if I'm, the Bible tells us the way of the transgressor is hard. But as for God, his way is right. And he blesses those who do what's right. One of the greatest gifts of Christmas is I think about the presence of God. I love that one. And I think about the peace of God, peace with God when I get saved and peace of God as I live as a Christian. But I'm glad that I have a God that gives me a gift at Christmas that's his sovereignty, that he knows where I am. In Job chapter 23 and verse 10, Job had the worst situation that could ever happen to a human being. Job went from riches to rags in one day. He went from having 10 children to have a funeral with 10 caskets. He went from having perfectly good health to being sick from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He went from having a sweet marriage to a wife that was so distraught and discouraged that it wasn't sweet anymore. In a moment, he went from good things to bad things. But the Bible tells us this. Job confessed this to God. He goes, you know, I went forward and I couldn't find God. I went backwards. I couldn't find God. I went over here and he wasn't there. I was looking everywhere for God in the midst of my difficult time. I couldn't find him. But he said, but he... God knoweth the way that I take. And when he's tried me, when he's worked with me, I'll keep trusting him, and he'll bring me forth this gold. You know, friend, that's exactly the precious promise of Christmas. I think about Mary and Joseph. God moved a king to say, 
And you could read it in Luke chapter 2. There went forth a decree that all the world should be taxed. It wasn't, it wasn't just in Israel. The whole world had to find their way back. And God moved a heathen, wicked, greedy king to get everyone to where they need to go, but particularly two people. Joseph and Mary to get to a place called Bethlehem so that his son would be born to this world. You know, if God can move the whole world to get a little couple, insignificant, poor, when it came to sacrifice, they couldn't bring a lamb or a, a goat or a bull. They just brought two little turtle doves because that was the least that they could bring. That was their financial ability. Two little poor people, he got them to Bethlehem. If God can do that, do you know what he's working in your life? And you can thank God for the Christmas gift of his sovereignty. I'll quickly give you the second one. That's the Christmas gift of strength. Have you ever gone to a situation where you think, I don't think I can keep going. And you're still looking at me this morning. God helped you, didn't he? I've got a sweet friend here that just over a year ago, her son passed away got multiple widows in this room that we were there whenever we laid their body of their husband in the grave. There are beautiful, beautiful examples. Yesterday I went to a funeral. A senior in our high school, a junior in high school, put their mother in the casket and into a grave yesterday afternoon. I watched them as they closed the casket and they just cried. Watching their mom for the very last time in that human form. And they, they wept. But you know one thing we all need in difficult times? We need strength. And God strengthens us. Christmas reminds me, I'm sure Joseph thought he was just, this is too much. Mary's saying she's having contractions and I can't find a place for her. I'm glad that there is a verse in scripture, Psalm 46, verse 1. The Lord is our refuge and our strength a very present help in time of trouble. Christmas reminds me that God is with me, that he gives me peace, that he oversees the affairs of men, and regardless what's going on in the future, God is there. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. God's already there. He can make all things work together for good if I'll trust him and love him and be committed to his purpose. Christmas reminds me that God is strong. and There's nothing too hard for him, and he can lend that strength to me. But the greatest gift of Christmas is not a gift in a package. It's a gift in a person, Jesus Christ. It's the gift of salvation. But you know, a gift is only yours if you accept it. Everyone who goes to heaven goes to heaven because there was a time and a place when they accepted the gift from God. Most people think that if you're going to go to heaven, you're not going to go to hell. You must do certain things. Keep the commandments, attend church, get baptized, stop doing this, start doing this. But you know, the Bible's very clear. If you could do something good and stop doing something bad and earn your way to heaven, then why would Jesus have to die on the cross? There would be no reason for that. No, the only way people go to heaven is when they receive the gift of eternal life. I want to tell you in the few moments we have together 
how, what are three things you need to know and one thing you need to do to have eternal life. This could be the greatest Christmas of your existence. This could be the greatest day of your life. I remember the best day in the life and times of John Wilkerson. It was the day when someone explained me these three things. Explained to me these three things. Number one, I was a sinner. And I couldn't save myself. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us in verse number 10, As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one does the right thing all the time, not even one person. Every one of us have a problem, and that is we have a sin problem. We sin because it's our nature and because it's our choice. The Bible tells us when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, then their kids were sinners and their kids were sinners, and sin passed upon every one of us because all of us have something in common. The pigment of our skin is different. Our social background, where we live in this northwest Indiana or Chicagoland region, we live in different places. Some live in beautiful homes. Some live in studio apartments. Some might live on the third floor of a Chicago <coughs> flat. Some might live in St. John. But wherever you live, we have one thing in common. We all got a human daddy. And that human daddy passed on to us a sinful nature. My wife and I are here this morning. We have nine children who call us dad and mom. All of them have something in common. They're all stinkers, just like their dad. They all sin. I never taught them how to lie. I didn't teach them how to lose their temper. I didn't teach them how to get mad at their brothers and sisters. I didn't teach them how to disobey their mom and dad. They all knew how to do that naturally. You know why? Because we all have the same DNA. Adam, sin passed upon all of us. That's why Jesus had to be born without a human father. When the Bible says a virgin would conceive, why does the Holy Spirit overshadow her? Because if Joseph or any other man would have been his, his dad, then he would have been a sinner just like me and just like you, and his death would, be, uh, would, not, would not be important. Jesus didn't have any sin. I have sin. If someone tries to say, God, here's why I'm going to heaven. I've done this and this and this. He'll say, are you kidding me? Your righteousness are as filthy rags. The first thing we have to understand is that we're sinners. We can't go to heaven that way. The second thing we have to understand is that sin has a penalty. And the penalty of sin, according to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, is death. The wages of sin is death. Many of you who work, you'll see a check and it'll say net wages, gross wages. You did this, your, your employer gives you this. God says because we've sinned, the wage of our sin is to die. Two times. If I had to pay for my own sin, I would die physically, separated from my body, just like that beautiful family I saw yesterday with their casket of their mother and, and grandmother and wife right there. The, the, the grief was because they're separated. The body's there, but the soul is gone. The body's there, but they're not there. They can't take a phone call. They can't talk anymore. It's over. They've been separated physically. That's going to happen to me one day. It's going to happen to you. But the second death is what the Bible says is the lake of fire. You say, Pastor, are you a hellfire and brimstone preacher? I'm a Bible preacher. And hell and the lake of fire is Bible. They're Bible terms. They're not a cuss word. It's a place. And it's a place where God doesn't go. 
People who go into the lake of fire are separated from God. Revelation chapter 20, the Bible tells us that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. If I had to pay for my sin, I'd have to go separate from my body and my loved ones and separate from God forever in the lake of fire. You say, Pastor, this is getting serious. It is serious. Number one, we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. Number two, the price of our sin is to be separated from God forever. Number three is the good news. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I deserve hell. But the Bible says this, the gift of God. It's not a gift that you can take with your hands. And it's not a gift that I would go purchase at Ross and give to you. It's God's gift. And the gift of God is eternal life. That's the opposite of eternal death. And it's true what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he offers to you and me a gift. A gift has to be two things. It has to be free. If someone has a gift for you, but you have to do something to get it, it's not really a gift. If he says, I'm going to give you this gift, but you have to clean my car, it's not a gift. It has to be free. Number two, it has to be accepted. And God, when he, when he sent his son, the Christmas story is that Jesus came and lived an innocent life. He died a cruel death. He was buried in a cold grave. He rose again the third day. And by doing that, he paid the price of sin. The price of sin is death. Jesus died. He, the innocent, died for us, the guilty. And then he offers us a gift. A and that is the eternal life when we believe and receive him. If I wanted to give a gift over here to Brother, brother uh, Quote, so I would just hand it to him, and now it's his. But to have eternal life, you don't take it with your hands. You take it with your heart and with your mouth. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, and verse number 10, For with the heart man believeth that only Jesus could save them, his righteousness, not our righteousness, and with the mouth, Salvation is accepted. That's point number four, friend. Number one, we're sinners. We can't go to heaven on our own. Number two, the price of sin is to be separated from God eternally in the lake of fire. Number three is that Jesus paid the price of sin for you and offers you a gift of eternal life. Number four, the ball's in your court. You can accept it or you can reject it. See, Pastor, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. I know that only Jesus could save me. I need to accept that gift. You know, you don't have to know the date on the calendar, the hour on the clock. But you need to know where you were when you asked Jesus to save you, when you confessed. You know, when you meet someone important, you usually remember where you were. If you met Michael Jordan, or you met our, a president, or a former president, if you met someone of a prestigious position, you would say, oh, I know where I was. I met them at the airport. I saw them over here at uh, McCormick Place. Yeah, I know where I... And when you meet Jesus, you'll know where you were. If you don't know that, right now would be the best day for you to get it nailed down. 